Welcome to Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited and Costa Five Rivers program, brought to you by Sims. Emerging is about enabling the young angling community to drive progress in the fly fishing industry and the conservation of the places we love to fish. My name is Joseph Burney. I'm the current Five Rivers Communications intern and will be your host along with Andrew Lafredo. For this episode, we got a chance to talk with Jeff Laddig and Trent Brown to talk about fishing in Montana and the current conservation issues for the fisheries in that state. We hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode three. We made it here, um, middle of midterms. Uh, hope everyone's doing good on midterms. That's in school right now. Um, but really excited to welcome Trent Brown, Jeff Laddig. Uh, Andrew's here, of course. Um, and I'm really excited about this. I just got off the bow of uh, Jeff's boat two weeks ago um, in South Carolina. Now you're in Montana. The redfish were school, about to school up. I can't believe you left that to go to Montana, but um, I'm glad you get to join us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, um, Jeff, thanks for making this introduction to Trent and coming on. And I was wondering how y'all know each other and um, what y'all are doing out in Montana right now. Yeah, so I met Trent through a, a mutual friend. And uh, a friend of mine started sending me pictures of uh, humongous wild trout here in Montana. And um, it, it got me uh, intrigued enough to uh, leave the salt and get on a plane and get out here. Love it. So I was out here two weeks ago and uh, it was pretty awesome. And I didn't uh, quite get enough. So here I am back again. Awesome. I mean, everyone wants to be in Montana, any trout guy. I think Trent, you're living the the dream, living out there. Um, yeah, it's pretty nice. There's, uh, you know, it's with Montana. Of course, we get winter, and that keeps people out of here. You know, I think otherwise everybody would live here. It's it's beautiful and uh, clean water, clean air, big sky country, man. It's uh, lots of trout, lots of water, so it's a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, Trent, where is your outfitter located in, well, what, what, what is the name of it for, for everyone at home? Sure. Yeah. My business, uh, is called little Blackfoot outfitters. And I live in a little town just on the West side of the continental divide called Elliston, Montana. And that's only about 20 miles from Helena. So I was pretty close to the state capital. There's a good airport that comes in, in Helena, and uh it's kind of right in the middle of a lot of very very good trout water i live on the little blackfoot river which is a tall a small trout stream that drains into the clark fork everything over on the west side of the continental divide drains into the clark fork which uh eventually turns into the columbia river and then drains into the pacific ocean obviously um but, yeah, we're kind of at the headwaters of the Columbia River there. It's the Clark Fork. There's Rock Creek, which is really close to Missoula, Montana. The Blackfoot River, which is, you know, what they're based, the Buck River runs through it, was kind of based on the Blackfoot River. Um, I'm also within probably about an hour and 15 minutes from my house to the Big Hole River, which is also a very famous blue ribbon stream. And then, of course, um, I'm real close to the Missouri River tailwater system. And so y'all floated um, that this morning, didn't y'all? Yeah, this morning. We went up there this morning. We we caught some fish. Um we were trying to do a little casting blast. So we got a little shooting in, a little fishing in. Awesome. Got, so we got out of there. It was a good reason to leave. So but it was a nice day, real beautiful up there today before the wind came up. Ducks or uh pheasants. Ducks. Ducks. Yeah. Nice. Y'all got the, the migration start up in Montana yet? Yeah, it just started. We've got uh, a lot of a lot of birds are moving down now. We had a real kind of long Indian summer that came clear into October. And so even a couple weeks ago, it was 70 degrees and it'd been really dry. Uh, um, 
just really moderate temperatures. So I think a lot of the birds held north of the border up in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, but this last storm system that came through, now you're seeing, you know, now just in the last few days, starting to see some snow geese migrating south. There's a lot more waterfowl around in general. That's sweet. Man, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, in the fall, which is great fishing for trout down in the south um, with what we have around for me around Athens. I mean, I have to drive like an hour to get to trout water. Um, but you talking about, oh, you live right on a right on a stream. You got all those blue ribbon streams, world famous streams all around you. A bit jealous because my uh, my local stream is is all bass and that's fun. But man that that's a nice yeah. luxury to have yeah it really is you know uh i was really my wife and i moved to montana um 12 years ago we lived in idaho previous to that and uh when i when we ended up in montana i was just overwhelmed with the amount of water that there was just clean you know um cold water everywhere and there's just trout everywhere i mean hundreds and hundreds of miles of trout water and you've got and, so uh, much public access too to to be able to fish on those waters yeah it's great the uh you know years ago the montana supreme court um upheld the right for the public to use um all of the streams um anywhere below the high water mark and uh, said that you couldn't block access to the streams. So um, landowners uh, cannot keep you from accessing a stream at a legal easement, which is bridges, uh, you know, if it comes close to the road or places like that. And so um, if you stay below the high water mark, you can go anywhere you want to. It's 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 it really is probably one of the most important um, decisions that Montana has really stood behind providing access, and uh, uh, it would be invaluable. I mean, it just wouldn't be the same place if we had laws that were similar more towards Colorado or Wyoming. When you know, as I understand it, and, been, and have been told that you're limited and you can't. I mean, in a lot of places, you can't even drop your anchor because um that would be considered trespassing so um that's not the case in montana yeah that's super interesting um you know we always talk about this to you where you know it's very easy to go backwards but um nearly impossible to you know take a law like uh the high water mark and say we're going to bring it to colorado um that would be very uh, controversial and probably be seen as a land grab by the state. So, um, you know, it's very difficult, obviously, to reverse things versus just protect them. And uh, it's awesome. That's why people go to Montana, right? You know, to yeah. go to go fish these places. It, it really is an incredible place to live. We really, we really enjoy it here. So, um, I didn't grow up too far from here. I just grew up in. Eastern Washington State, southeastern Washington on the Columbia River. So I grew up fishing for steelhead and salmon and bass and catfish, you know, big river stuff. Yeah. Uh, white sturgeon. And, uh, but I, we would always travel to the, um, since I was a little kid, we'd always travel to the mountains and southeastern Washington, central Washington, and trout fish. And so, um, I've kind of been a diehard trout fisherman from the beginning. So it kind of made sense when we moved to Montana that uh, um, it'd be something to pursue. So um, that's kind of how I started. I we, we My wife got a job. She works for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And um, so when she took that position, she works at the headquarters office in Helena. And when she took that position... 12 years ago, that's, that's when we moved to Montana. So, um, I started guiding, um, this is my ninth season now. And, uh, you know, 
it's 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 great to to go fishing you know every day <laughs> yeah um and uh and it's great to meet new people you know i get to meet a lot of new people as as you know too joseph um doing that it's uh it's it's really um pretty special to be able to meet uh people from all different walks of life and all different places around the country but they're all coming to enjoy something that you love so it's so it's kind of a it's an easy way to go that way you know yeah i mean you just kind of leave things on the bank and just enjoy your surroundings and the fishing as long as you don't bring a banana in the boat i think everyone's (laughs) everyone's good right exactly yeah 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 but uh I think it's a thing in every boat. Okay, because I know it's a big thing in the salt water. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I forgot who did it, but someone did a little film about bringing like a ton of bananas in their boat and catching a fish like on a, like on a hook with a banana, like a trout or something. It was during some crazy hatch, like uh, where the fish were just eating any hopper that smacked on the water and they just threw a banana peel on there and just smacked it down fish comes up and eats and they're like all right we solved yeah. it bananas on the boat not a thing but i mean banner days bananas on the boat <laughs> um but yeah so uh what'd you end up doing before you uh were guiding i know we talked uh the other day about uh you were working in some um research and stuff for conservation of um some wild animals and stuff like that you mind telling us about that Sure. Yeah, I got started. Uh, I did my first wildlife job on a raptor migration project in Boise, Idaho in 1996. Um, I got hired to assist and train to become uh, a trapper uh, where we caught uh, migrating raptors uh, in the fall on the fall migration. Any crazy, any crazy stories from, I know you did the raptors, but I'm you did a bunch of animal, other animals too. You did studies on any crazy, crazy stories or experiences from that. Yeah, I've got, um, I, I have, uh, so I started in 96 doing the bird stuff and then by about 98 or 99, that's pretty much all I was doing was wildlife work. Um, mostly all bird stuff. And then I started working with Idaho fishing game. I got hired on as a wildlife technician in the year 2000. And I was working for them up until the point when my wife and I moved to Montana in 2008. And, um, through that time, I eventually worked my way into getting on with the crew that does animal capture and monitoring of specifically we were working on big game stuff so deer elk uh, moose bighorn sheep you know goats um a lot of that stuff and so what we would do is we would try to get a lot of this was cause specific mortality studies and so we were trying to get specific reasons and how these animals were dying and and so to facilitate that data collection we would apply uh radio callers we would put radio callers on these animals and then we would we wouldn't track them around but we would monitor them on a on a fairly regular basis um for survival and so once the animal would die then we would get there as fast as we could to try and recover the caller and analyze the evidence that was left over so we could try and figure out do it we would do a necropsy and we could try to figure out how the animal died um which was kind of the point of the project so of course we had all sorts of different things they would die of disease or they would die of getting hit by a car or falling off a cliff but of course there was a lot of predation also you know yeah yeah, I was about to say you probably found a few uh, cat kills up in a tree. Yeah, cat kills <laughs> and um, uh, you know wolves and coyotes and I mean you name it. <laughs> we we had lots of animals marked um, all over the state. So uh, there for a while, I was in charge of one group that was probably about it was around three hundred and fifty to four hundred animals 
that I was monitoring on a, on a multi-day, multi, like three or four times a week, I would need to listen to those critters. And so just with that many animals marked, I mean, some of them are just going to die, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, but that was a very interesting job. I got to travel all over Idaho backcountry and, and, uh, and, you know, go to where the animals live. So that was good. Um, when I moved, I thought that was going to be pretty much over and we moved to Idaho or excuse me, Montana here and thought, well, you know, I had my fun. That's it. I got to find something else to do. And, um, I got contacted by one of my, uh, uh, bosses down in Idaho. And they said that, uh, one of the contractors that they had hired was looking for somebody. So I started working for a company called Quicksilver Air, um, Rick and Sharon Swisher, and they do a substantial percentage of the wildlife capture stuff in the lower 48 in the wintertime. So I got hooked up with them and started working with those guys. And boy, that really kind of spread things out a bit. We caught animals from New Mexico to Saskatchewan all the way over to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Minnesota to Washington, you know. Using Ontario. helicopters, right? Yeah, most of the time in the higher elevation stuff in the Rocky Mountains here, um, we would use a Hughes 500D model. Um, but some in the lower lower elevation stuff, we would use uh, Robinson R44 helicopter. But we would either deploy nets or use a, a, a dart gun, you know, and shoot tranquilizer darts um, to, uh, you know, kind of, get the animal in a place where we can actually work on it a little bit. Yeah, that's sweet. And I'm sure you went from there to um, starting to guide for, for nine years and um, just your overall care for all of wildlife, I'm sure gives you perspective um, of not just trout. I think that sometimes we like to narrow our field of vision to whatever species we're concerned about, but you get to see the big picture after working with so many different types of animals and in so many different places, I'm sure that changes your perspective on the conservation of trout as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I had a unique, uh, uh, chance to see a lot of the West and see a lot of different, how, uh, excuse me, a lot of different animals, in a lot of different habitats and uh just to see the wide open spaces where these animals live and then you know flying along and then there's another city and you just see you know um just how people are influencing the ecosystems um in a lot of a lot of positive ways but uh, in some negative ways too certainly so um yeah it's uh i've i guess i i am a little unique in that <laughs> in that regard that i uh um, uh, kind of, I don't really have a particular species that I think is, is better than another, you know? Yeah. So it's all wildlife and fish and wildlife management. Basically we're responsible for making sure that we can have these animals in perpetuity, right. Mm -hmm. For our grandkids and their grandkids, hopefully. Absolutely. So yeah. going off of that, what do you think, um, like Montana is this, uh, this place that everyone looks at and says, that's what our fisheries and our fisheries management needs to look like. But as with any place that humans have touched, there's some things that we've done wrong and can make better. Like what, what, what do you think are, um, some pressing conservation issues, uh, on the fisheries of Montana right now? So I think one of the major issues right now, um, certainly the biggest thing I think facing um, fisheries and fisheries management in Montana right now is how they're um, trying to um, regulate use. Um, there has been a substantial increase in recreation not just commercial recreation, which would be guiding and outfitting, but a substantial increase in just um, 
Joe public that wants to go fishing. You know, they come from Tennessee and they want to go fish the Madison River. And so, um, uh, fish, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is now um, really working with um, a lot of the stakeholders um, on the Madison River. They're trying to get a plan going right now and how they're going to try and regulate it fairly to um, allow as much use as possible, but also try to limit um, the congestion issues that are happening there now. Um, the Madison drains out of the Yellowstone out of Yellowstone National Park, as you guys probably know, I'm sure, yeah. and then eventually ends up um, turning into one of the forks of the Missouri River and then travels across the north side of the state Fort Peck Reservoir before it comes back down and meets the Yellowstone River. Um, and so it does a big circle there, but um, there's, there's a substantial amount of uh, congestion in recent years um, there's more use on the Madison River now than, according to Creel surveys, than it's the number one um, used river in the state right now, recreationally. And, and from a trout, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, from a trout perspective too, Trent, isn't it like uh, the most fished like trout river in the country? Pretty sure uh, it got I, that. I imagine. I would imagine. Yeah, I would imagine. I think they said there was over 200,000 days in one calendar year two years ago or something. Last time they did the Creel survey, but they have had, they are up against it. They've had a hard time trying to come up with any type of a plan that people are going to all agree to. And so it's been, it's been really hard for uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Um, of course, they're taking public input, and there's a lot of stakeholders, and so um, they ended up, you know, they're they're in that process right now. But it's very, it's long and arduous, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. You know, they've they've gone through the process, and it's been shut down before, just because of uh, there was not, uh, they didn't basically reach an agreement, and so. Um, one of the issues is is that they want to limit um, commercial use, right? So I think as I understand it, and don't quote me, I guess, but um, as I understand it, I think it's about 80% of the use is, is, is non-commercial use. So it's just people that are going out fishing, you know, uh, like anybody Normal. could. Like me, yeah. when I, me and my buddies drove across the country, went and fished. Fish the Madison. Like. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And um, so that's 80% of the use. But when they get there, they see that there are, you know, commercial, you know, guides and outfitters are there and uh, providing their services. And, and of course, they um, are, you know, good at what they do. And so they see them catching fish, and I can't catch any fish, and there's too many guides up here. I mean, I can see how it all goes down, right? <laughs> Um, and you know, it's totally understandable. Um, however, you know, those, those, the, the thing that I think gets looked past sometimes is that like Ennis, that community is basically centered around the fly fishing industry. And if they limit the amount of, you know, by limiting, um, guides and outfitters and limiting their days, um, more than they are already, I, I think that it would really do some significant harm to the local economies and, and that, you know, that'll happen in any, any of these little fishing towns in Montana, you know, there's a lot of them out there. And, uh, certainly Ennis is a, is a really good example of a place that, um, really depends on, um, tourism dollars to, uh, drive the economy there. So, uh, fish, wildlife, and parks, and, and this, you know, the, the stakeholders, they have some pretty important things that they're talking about. And, and uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of private land involved too. So um, there's a lot of people that, are, that have, have a lot of interest in it. Um, fortunately for me, that's a long ways from my house. So <laughs> it's <laughs> something that I have to deal with because I don't work down there. But I, but I certainly understand the issues. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, it's, it can be um, – kind of overwhelming if you think about it too much you know i think people are all trying to do the right thing and and sometimes 
um, they can't agree on what the right thing is, right? Yeah. So, yeah. There's definitely uh, <clears throat> no one likes to hear the the no word, right? You know, um, you know. There's uh, no one's in the mood to hear bad news. So, you know, telling people that they can't come or there's a lottery system uh, to go on the river, right? I think is just uh, you know something that's inevitable because you're kind of loving a resource to death. But um, at some point, you know how why punish people who are bringing money to the economy and where's that all level out, right? Where people can have a sustainable living. Uh, people can have their tourism and visit Montana because it, it is such an awesome and special place. And, you know, then you also lose advocates for supporting, you know, uh, pr- protections for the Madison, right? If you limit them too much, sure. you know, that, uh, you know, there's all these issues and it's just very uh, interesting too, especially for you, Trent, because, you know, what happens when, uh, Missoula or Helena is the next uh, boulder, right? And right. ends up expanding the the pressure that comes to the little Blackfoot, and then all of a sudden you're in the same boat. So it's just very interesting to to hear, <laughs> you yeah, know, these kind of issues. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, you know, that's the thing that we talk about a lot is is you know above all, um, things are going to keep going that way, and so. Um, it's, it's gonna, it's, you know, they've, they've, they've already, you know, different, there's several different rivers in Montana that are on a permit system for commercial use. And some of those are hard and fast where there's only so many of them and that's it. There's not going to be any more. Some of them are, um, where you just put in for your permits and, uh, you know, go through the paperwork and, uh, then you get them from an outfitters outfitters perspective um and there's you know the other side where there's permitted rivers that you know people that own the permits can trade them back and forth buy them and sell them you know and so it's kind of the 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 gamut of uh the different possibilities of of management for different rivers um and they're trying a lot of different ways and um but there's I, i think pretty much everybody agrees that um, it, it sure seems like um, there's more and more people that are coming, um, which, you know, I can't blame them, man. If I was, people would shoot me, but I say, man, I don't know why everybody doesn't live in Montana. It is beautiful here, man. I mean, I've seen hats, stickers, koozies, like T-shirts that say Montana's full. Like, don't come here. I know. And I'm like, I can't blame anybody, man. I moved here like 12 years ago, right? <laughs> so, yep. So what got you into, so you've guiding, you've been guiding for nine years. What led you to start your own outfitter? So, uh, you know, as life goes on and eventually, uh, my wife and I ended up having a child, Cody Rose Brown. She's cool. She can sling it around a little bit. And, uh, she's uh, 13 now, but, uh, at the time we had her, we were like, well, we need to figure out what we're going to do. My wife was a biologist there for Idaho Fish and Game in Idaho Falls, and I was working there as a wildlife technician, research, and um, we kicked it around a little bit, and a job opened, an opportunity opened up here in Montana, and uh, we decided that uh, maybe we'd give it a go. We figured if we were going to move at some point, then would be the time, because Cody was small enough, she didn't have a bunch of friends yet, you know? Yeah, So future Five we, Rivers leader right there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she, uh, so she's, she's, uh, and it's a great place to raise a kid, you know? So my wife works, like I said, for Fish, Wildlife, Parks. She just got a new job, and I'm not sure when she's starting it. It's also with Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. But she works in the wildlife uh, end of things, and uh, so she's the non-game and threatened and endangered species bureau chief for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And so, um, that's why we moved to Montana was for her to, uh, go after that, uh, pursuit and boy, I love every minute of it, but it kind of left me out there holding the bag because there wasn't a bunch of research going on at the time we moved here. And so, and being how we lived in Helena, a lot of the research that was being done wasn't anywhere near Helena. And so I ended up um, trying to look around and seeing what other things I was going to maybe do. Um, there was a neat lady that worked in Lori's office that her husband was a fly fishing outfitter. And, um, 
when I was, when we were living in Idaho, we spent a lot of time fishing on the South Fork of the Snake River. And there's a lot of guides and outfitters down there. And I always thought, man, there is no way I would want to do that. You know, um, just seems like, you know, so congested on the river and I just couldn't do it. I just didn't like it at all. And then when I moved up here, I was like, well, shoot, man, there is water everywhere, you know? Yeah. And it was a completely different thing. I was like, wow, man, you can really spread out. And so, um, I was introduced to guiding through, uh, a gentleman named Mike Geary and he's an outfitter in Montana. And, um, every year he does a couple trips at least, um, where he donates trips to wounded warriors. I think it's like project healing waters. I couldn't yeah. get him, but it's that, that type of thing. And, and, uh, he was nice enough to let me volunteer and come along and help him on one of the trips down the Smith river, which is a five day float. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, I may as well just go try and learn what these guys do if it's something I'm going to be interested in. And I happened to meet some other guides and outfitters on that trip. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I should try this. And so I, uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Worked with a lot of out of the Missoula area. Um, and got a lot of water underneath my boat, you know? And, uh, then, I think after about six years is when I uh, decided that I was just going to go ahead and, and get the outfitter's license. I got my captain's license so I could run a jet boat up here. There's a few places where we do that. And um, in order to do it, was just going to be easier once I got the captain's license if I just went ahead and got my outfitter's license also. So yeah. That's how I ended up where that is, I guess. Um, but it's like I said, it's been it's a great, it's really a really good job. It's a lot of hard work, and uh, you got to have a a family that understands that you could be, you know, working tomorrow any second. You know, um, mm. you always got to say yes. But but uh, like I said earlier, it's it's a great way to make a living and meet some really neat and unique people also. Yeah, one of the best best pieces of advice I got from um, from someone when I was starting to think about all of this, and we'll go into this a little more um, and gain sure. your perspective on it, but um, was if you're going to do the guide thing, if you're going to work for an outfit or whatnot, like just no can't be in your vernacular, especially if you're working your way up. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you got to take every opportunity you can um, to get those trips in and to get that opportunity to be on the water. Cause you learn something new every time. Um, and I relate to the cat. I'm working on my captain's license right now. Um, sure. I'm about to start my class once midterms are over, but, sure. um, just for someone my age, um, in college and whatnot, that might be interested in pursuing a career in guiding or running an outfit or what are, I guess we'll start with what are your, uh, your, your cautions, and then we'll move into the more positive side of things of the, the benefits. Sure. Um, um, so for someone that, that obviously, you know, I'm a little older, so I, I, uh, I actually didn't even start guiding until I was 38. So now I'm 48. So I kind of came at it from a different angle because, um, you know, I'd already been married for 10 years and, and, and we had a kid, but I didn't need to worry about trying to be the one that, I mean, let's be honest, it comes down to health insurance on some level, right? Yeah. My wife, uh, without my wife, you know, having, a, a, a being employed by the, through the state, um, and having insurance that way we would have had to do something else. So I might not have had the opportunity to kind of pursue this part of my, you know, career, um, unless we had, you know, that resource kind of tied up at least on that end. And so, um, a caution, that's something to consider if, you know, if you want to do something long term, um, and, and, and make it a career to be a, a guide or an outfitter is that you got to kind of figure that in. That's going to cost some money. And I know the costs are skyrocketing. Um, and so I would, I would try to figure that into the plan, even though you don't want to, of course, when you're at your age, 
you don't really think about that too much. And, and I think my advice would be to work for as many different outfitters as you can, um, be willing to move around in the area as much as you can. Um, and, uh, you know, try different things, try different water. Don't be afraid to go. You know, I think my, my wife is highly tolerant of me because I tell her frequently that I got to go do some R and D, you know, Yeah. cause I fishing every day. I figure if I'm not fishing every day, then I'm not providing the service that I should to my clients. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most important thing. I was just talking with Jeff about this a couple of days ago and I said, man, I think, you know, I, I think it's my obligation because it does cost a lot of money. It's my obligation to, uh, to, in order to provide the best service I can to have the most recent information available at, at all times. And, and I think that's, you know, being able to network is also a very good, um, it's, it's a very good way to go, um, making a big network of, uh, other guides and outfitters that you can trust. So you can only be in one, like in Montana, now this is different, I guess, in different places, but in Montana, because there's so much water and so many different rivers, there's different bugs, you know, all over the place and the fish are eating different things, um, on the Missouri, on the Missouri than they are on the Blackfoot or the Bitterroot, you know? Yeah. And so in order to be able to provide services in both places, you kind of got to have people that you can trust that are out there every day, just like you. And you kind of bounce, bounce information back and forth. So everybody's trying to provide good service for the industry, you know? So, um, that's kind of the standard. So, um, getting back to what your question would be, I would say, um, the, the most helpful part for me when I first started was just learning the water. Yeah. Cause that's, thing first you got to learn the water and and so you know there's i mean it's it's there's an amazing amount of water here in montana the bitterroot the blackfoot the clark fork the missouri and the big hole and rock creek i mean that's thousands it's got to be a thousand miles of water you yeah. know more you know more certainly and so the more of that water you can cover then at least in, in my area, the more of that water you can cover, you know, the more um, employable you are as a guide because we can say, hey, you don't have to say, yeah, I'll take them down the big hole, but I don't know where the put in or the takeout is or whatever, you know. I mean, you don't want to be doing that. So yeah, you want to have stuff under your belt. Jeff, you got any input as well uh, from your experience? Sure, yeah. I mean, there, there's the subtle differences between the salt water and the fresh water. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think that they, they get to go fishing every day. Um, and you do, um, but you're guiding every day. Um, you know, Joseph and I talked about it briefly. Like I, I haven't caught a fish in a few months because I'm on the opposite end of the boat. Um, we, so we have a, now, you know, we, we let you get on the bow. Yeah, <laughs> I did. They, these guys catch a, a speckled sea trout, which was, Sweet. which was awesome. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you're, you're not fishing every day, you're guiding. It's very, very different. Um, and you have to like guiding. You have to, you just have to enjoy that aspect of it. Um, you know, be patient when people, you know, are, are not making the cast that they need to make. And just remember that, um, you know, you're a teacher and a coach and, you know, essentially a cheerleader and you're doing everything you can to put that person in a position to be successful. Yeah, Absolutely. So the kind of shift uh, from from kind of the cautions. What's your what's your favorite favorite part of your job then? Like what what makes guiding uh, running an outfitter so special and something you would suggest to another person? Uh, for, you know, for me, a lot like Trent said, you know, the opportunity to just meet um, people from all over. And, you know, I'm sure Trent's seen it with me, you know, like we're, we're passing mule deer out here and bighorn sheep and I'm asking him to pull the truck over so I can take a photo. And he sees these things every day and I know that he appreciates it, but it's just exciting to see somebody who has never experienced those things. So for me, you know, if I get someone from the Midwest or from somebody from Montana and they come to South Carolina and, and they're just in awe when they get to experience the salt marsh and, you know, the systems and the crabs and the bait and, and just yeah. all the nuances of, of the estuary. 
Um, you know, sometimes you forget about what you're doing, you know, you go out there and you do it every day and you appreciate it. But when you see, you're able to see it through someone else's eyes, it gets to see it for the first time. Or, you know, like when I got to share that moment with you and you, you hooked up to your first redfish and came tight and the sun was rising it was just like, man, this is the best job in the world. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't uh, agree with Jeff more. Um, there's of course, you know, different, different habitats and ecosystems, but, um, but the same in a lot of ways in which, um, you know, you're going down, I'm I'm going down the river and I'm saying, okay, guys, you know, let's throw it over here on the left on this seam. And somebody will look up and be like, Oh, what's that? Oh, is that a bald Eagle? And it's like, you know, we see like bald Eagles all day, every day. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, there's a bald Eagle. (laughs) And it's like, sometimes it's, uh, it's interesting. It's like, you got to kind of refocus a little bit and it's, it's, it's not necessarily all about the fishing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, going down the river and seeing the American dipper or the blue wing teal or the cinnamon teal or the, you know, the Cooper's hawk that flies by or the Peregrine Falcon. Um, there's, there's just so much stuff to see um, that sometimes I just tell my people just to, hey, well, just sit back and look around for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because there's some beautiful places. And uh, a lot of times you get so focused on the fishing that you kind of miss that. So that's a good mm-hmm. point that Jeff makes um, that people that don't live here um, seem to uh, appreciate it more than the ones that do sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For sure. It's kind of uh, like having a kid, right? You know, right. like reliving your first ice cream, you know, and like all those parts. It's kind of like being being like a mentor in that sense, right? Where, you know, you, you get to see everyone's first reaction to right. something that, you know, uh, I'm kind of guilty of that too. I live in Colorado and it's just like, everyone's like, oh, it's so beautiful here. It's like, yeah, like I see the mountains from my house. So it's like, yeah. you know, like right. uh, that's just my, my daily view. So it's just... Uh, you know, hard not to sometimes just like step back and just appreciate, uh, where you're fortunate enough to live. So, um, yeah. And fish. So, um, you know, I just have a, a couple questions for you guys, you know, especially because of, uh, guiding in particular, um, you know, I'm sure that you guys, especially during the, at the beginning of the pandemic, were in a very interesting place. Uh, with with trips and you know we're just curious uh, you know trial limited we're we're trying to uh, encourage people to recreate responsibly during COVID and kind of what you know precautions uh, you guys are taking or suggestions for people to stay safe uh, when they're out in the water uh, this fall. Sure, I'll uh, yeah I can go first there. Uh, um, in Montana, the way that it it uh, came down was, you know, uh, at first Montana really didn't they kind of took some steps where the governor um implemented an order that um anyone coming from out of state um had to quarantine for 14 days before they could go do whatever they wanted to do when they came to montana so that basically shut everything down if you had a five-day fishing trip you weren't going to come for 14 days before your five-day fishing trip to go on your fishing trip so at first, um, actually, at the same time, I think he actually just um, said no guiding. So he closed down all guiding. And then uh, went to the, then that went for two or three weeks, having a hard time remember, remembering. But um, so that kind of stopped everything. And then, boy, it was, it was pretty scary at that time. So it kind of shut down the industry for a while. And then um, eventually they opened it up. And, uh, once they opened it up, um, it was about as busy. And I think it's pretty much everybody I talked to has about the same opinion that it was as busy this year as, as it ever has been. Mm -hmm. Um, people just started coming to Montana, like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, they get tired of being locked into their, you know, not going to work and everything else. They're like, man, we're going to get out of here. Let's go to Montana. So, I, we ran into a lot of that, at least from our end here in Montana. It was a very, very busy season. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of times more um, clients than there were guides, um, not specifically for my business, but I know other businesses that were you know, substantially bigger than mine 
that had to turn people away because they didn't have enough guides. So it was pretty busy this year um, on that end. So um, as far as the safety issue goes, um, I pretty much operate most of my business out of boats. So I have a raft and I have a drift boat and then I also have a jet boat and, you know, we're outside the whole time. So you're in the middle working. And uh, so there's quite a bit of space. I mean, I think that six foot rule is pretty easily, um, you know, adhered to for the most part. So um, I think it's a low risk situation when you're on the water, but um, yeah, wiping down all the surfaces in your vehicle and, um, you know, cleaning your rods, you know, between clients, that type of thing. Um, you know, just, just, uh, kind of common sense stuff, I think, um, is kind of how we ran it up here. If that helps at all. Yeah. I think a positive from, um, COVID that we can see is I think a lot of people started to appreciate the outdoors a lot more than they used to. Um, because I mean, you're stuck in your house for so long. Like I would cherish like the couple of daily walks that me and my family would do. And my brother and I would go down and fish, um, our neighborhood pond, stuff like that. And, um, local waters, especially, I'm sure that, uh, a lot of those people that sadly, while they weren't coming to you during the same time, they probably would have, but they were probably getting to explore some of those local waters that they might've looked over because all they could think about was Montana. And absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that, um, and I know that is absolutely the case. Um, I know that in these times when, um, you know, people were not able to come, um, because of the circumstances with COVID. Um, I think that we, uh, you know, I, I obviously stay in touch with, uh, a lot of my clients, you know, they're good friends. And so I talk with them all the time, you know, and, uh, I know that they, they got out more and more of, you know, around where they live. And so they weren't traveling as far and maybe they weren't getting quite the great, the big experience and adventure that they wanted to by coming to Montana, but they, they definitely got out more where they were at and, uh, that way. And I think that happened. I mean, you can kind of see that nationwide. I think fishing license sales, and I've heard that all of that, um, outdoor activities, uh, side of things has just skyrocketed, um, this year. And then, you know, I mean, it's good for everybody to be outside. I'm a yeah. big advocate, imagine. I think that helps keep the mind clear. Yeah. And a way that we're kind of trying to encourage people so, to go outside, go fishing, um, is I know the people that have been listening to the podcast know uh, about the fly competition, but um, I know I told you all right before we came on too, but uh, we're doing the fly competition. Um, Y'all get to each pick a fly, uh, your favorite fly, and listeners, uh, if you tie this fly um, or go get it from a shop, uh, support your local fly shop, and go pick up one of these flies, uh, we're doing biggest fish, smallest fish, and most unique fish. But the catch is, for most unique fish, um, and we'll tie this in to the past two episodes as well, so most unique fish caught on the bread fly, the Dalai Lama, or um, whatever Trent and Jeff uh, spit out to us, um, you're going to get, we have a fish pond uh, duffel bag that we're going to be giving out. Um, and we're going to be uh, doing that on Instagram. Make sure um, you tag us at Five Rivers um, in order for us to see it. Um, Andrew, what was the hashtag? Uh, emerging fly challenge. Yeah. And, uh, in addition to the fish pond bag, we're going to be giving out, uh, some Sims fishing products, uh, swag bags to full of various goodies. So, yeah. Sure so, to- so make sure to get on that, um, go out fishing, recreate responsibly, but we'd love to hear, uh, the flies that y'all would, y'all would pick. Sure. Yeah. I, I, one of the most versatile ones for, uh, I think every fish, this is going to be kind of fun to see what the most unique fish would be. Cause I can imagine everything eats mayflies mm-hmm. and 
one of the more popular ones up here as it is everywhere else is the little green machine and that thing will work all year round it will catch <laughs> i mean and the thing is you could catch anything with that you catch a bluegill you could catch a carp you could catch a trout you could catch i mean i don't probably catch a bass certainly there's lots of different species you could catch on it um i don't know about a bass maybe not but i think it was tied big enough you know yeah. maybe like in a yeah. 12 or a 10 sure yeah definitely we've been throwing teeny ones all week like yeah. 18s and 20s yeah but the trout are eating them yeah that's awesome so it seems like that's just kind of like a gold standard for up here in montana that's one of the that's one of the flies that can get some work done anytime you go awesome so Y'all heard it here. Uh, we're giving out some awesome, awesome prizes for all this. Uh, guys, thank you so much for uh, for coming on, talking to us. Um, I had a good time, and um, hopefully uh, we can get some good, uh, see some cool fish caught with the, with that little mayfly pattern. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jeff, Trent. Um, and where, where can they find you guys on Instagram uh, and more information for – in a trip with y'all sure yeah my uh my website is just little blackfoot outfitters at uh and then um my instagram is little blackfoot outfitters um pretty straightforward so you can find me in both places and then sure uh, uh, for me um livingwaterguide.com is my website and instagram is captain jeff laddick or cap Jeff Laddick, C-A-P-T, Jeff Laddick. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, y'all. Well, Thank cool. you, guys. Well, let us know if we can help you any more times, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'd slip in here. We're going to have a blog post. We'll throw their Instagrams, their websites, all that on there. And um, can't wait to see you guys back here for episode four. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>